All right. Hi, everyone. This is Anthony Diaz with The Pop Health Show. And this show is for anyone that has a super strong passion for making the world a better place. Specifically, we've been uncovering the sections, the interesting sections and nuances of impact, health, and emerging technologies. And along those lines, I'm really enthused and excited to have my guests on the show today. So Amit Grover is a serial entrepreneur for the past 16 years. He has a history of working with Fortune 500 companies. He's got a, a capital unit and an impact ventures unit, Grover Impact Ventures and Kononos uh, Capital. And uh, I'm not going to steal his thunder, but I'm very excited to have him on the show today. Amit, thank you so much for joining me and for peeling off time to do this. My pleasure. Well, uh, thanks for being here. And, and maybe you can teleport us back. Teleport us back to your origin story, where things started for you. Why do you do what you do today? I always find stories interesting on the journey, what led you to where you're at today. Uh, certainly, like, you know, Anthony, it's very important for people to understand what they do and why they do that. Uh, you know, it's not as curated as people think. It's uh, various things that happen in life. So I was born and raised in New Delhi, India. That's where I originally belong from. And, um, you know, a single mom, you know, who worked multiple jobs to raise me. So, you know, life was tough when we were young. Uh, but having done that after my undergrad, I started working with a bunch of Fortune 500 companies, uh, you know, started my career with a subsidiary of British American Tobacco in brand marketing in various markets. Then after a while, joined an Italian coffee company called Lavazza and was building that in India and Southeast Asia. Um, later on, I joined a French company called Pernod Ricard, which makes alcoholic beverages. So I uh, was you know, kind of heading the brand marketing for Indian made foreign liquor and later on mergers and acquisitions. Um, took a sabbatical for two years, went to New Zealand to do a full-time MBA program. That's when I relocated to New Zealand. And after which I worked for a short while in uh, consulting and then pretty much made my way back to New Zealand from Australia uh, to start Grover and Company. So uh, the brand was born in 2008. Uh, with basically, uh, you know, motivation of helping small, medium businesses really evolve in terms of how they export their products and services from New Zealand to the world. As you would understand, New Zealand is a small country and it's heavily dependent on exports because of its size. Um, so obviously dairy industry, the meat industry, the wine industry, uh, these are some of the top industries of New Zealand. So at that time, I started getting into the entire world of intellectual property where I would basically advise businesses to look at their business from less of a business model and more of an asset. Uh, because I kind of believe that business models are easier to disrupt, uh, either through cost or differentiation. But asset, I'm not saying it can't be disrupted, but it has got a natural barrier to, to disruption. So I started helping early on a lot of these small, medium businesses build their speciality or their specialization or their trade secret into an intellectual property that could be licensed out to Asia and some of the emerging markets. So started off in 2008 and it's kind of been quite a growth journey. We went into Australia, we went into Singapore, Dubai, London. Uh, so yeah, 16 years and running, we've done major work in the emerging markets. We've worked with over 300 companies in different sectors. Uh, so 14 different sectors, 23 different countries. So we are quite a subject matter expert when it comes to intellectual property, not on the legal side of it, Anthony, more in terms of the IP strategy and how do you really commercialize that IP and having the commercial cap on. Of course, 
course, we work with third-party lawyers all the time uh, for IP protection frameworks and you know such like. So during this journey of building Grover and Company, many things happen. So it's not as straightforward as people think it is. Uh, you know, I've had many many instances where I've almost been bankrupt. Uh, I've had instances that I've almost lost my life. So uh, in 2013. I met with an accident uh, and I lost six feet of my intestines. I was in the hospital for six months. I was almost gone, mate. So I was in the hospital for six months, uh, came out, literally lost everything in business and again started rebuilding it. I was on state support for a while, coming from the decorated background of Fortune 500 companies to really being on the streets. Uh, that's when you really realize that where you stand in life, all your colleagues, all your friends, they all disappear, mate. It's just gone. Uh, there's nobody around uh, and you know it's an entire life cycle of discovering yourself because you're facing a situation that you never faced uh, so you're facing it for the first time you're trying to make sense of how to come out of it um, and there is no uh, method to come out of it you have to fit for everybody you have to figure out figure it out for yourself how do you climb up that deep hole and as I was doing it there was many emotions running through me there was obviously a lot of anger for people who didn't uh, you know stand by me who I thought would, uh, that anger then becomes into frustration, that frustration then kind of becomes into, uh, you know, feeling sorry for yourself, self-guilt, and then finally that becomes forgiveness. But before that comes to that stage, the whole life cycle of emotions that you go through before you reach that, start forgiving yourself for what has happened and, uh, you know, put the past behind and start concentrating on building the future. What mm-hmm. happened, what happened, you can't go back in time and change it. So there's no point, uh, you know, losing sleep over something you can't control uh, and concentrating on something that you can. So that is easier said than done, but you have to go through your own life cycle journey to be really understanding that. So anyway, uh, started standing up again and started building my business again and built that business second time around. While I was doing it the second time around, I think some of the pertinent questions that I started asking myself that, you know, it's got to be more than money. It's got to be more than just, uh, you know, having social capital. It's got to be more than just kind of the obvious why you do business. Uh, You know, value creation, great. Capital creation, great. Maximizing shareholders, wealth, great. But there has to be something more fundamental to what you're doing and using your skills and the gift that God's given you. God's Mm -hmm. given different gifts. It's just that half of us don't even realize what our gifts are on the journey of life. Uh, But some people like me, when we are faced with situations like that, we dig very deep. So Mm -hmm. that's the time where I started going into aspects of spirituality. I started going into aspects of the religion that I come from. Not so much from a religion aspect, but from, from the point of where do I really belong? What is the soil that I come from? What's the 30,000 year old history in that soil? And started asking myself a lot of questions because I was not getting any answer. Uh, that why that's happening to me and you know I'm very well educated with an MBA degree with a fortune 500 career why would it happen to that Um, so that's when you know I really decided that beyond just making money money is important because without resources you can't drive any fundamental uh, ideology Mm -hmm. so that was obviously a constant but what changed is my whole mindset towards where do I want to channelize my energy and where do I want to drive my business career? So sustainability was right uh, staring at me. So that's when I started embarking on the world of sustainability. Within that sustainable ecosystem, I started going into food security. I started going into climate tech. I started going into some of these 
major issues that we are trying to solve in the world without which humanity would cease to exist at the rate the world is going now you know one always asks this question that if i'm if i've stumbled upon a new business idea or a new technology if this technology ceases to exist would it matter to the world now that is what i was asking that bigger the problem bigger the remuneration bigger the money and bigger the need Mm-hmm. So obviously energy was one of those aspects I was very very um, you know conscious about that we are running out of energy we are burning too much coal we need renewable energy and New Zealand was the perfect example of how a country can be 100% run on renewable today a lot of countries are including Netherlands so I stumbled upon that coin of capital is basically partnering with organizations that are trying to drive renewable energy and sustainable mobility so your electric vehicle charging your electric vehicles as well as renewable energy uh, in the middle east so that's one fund uh, you know grover impact ventures try to drive a lot of uh you know technologies in food especially alternative foods so the plant based revolution happened but i lost a lot of money i mean trust me uh that revolution didn't take off the way that i thought it uh, you know beyond me a lot of people thought that it's going to really take off it's going to become mainstream a lot of people are going to join that revolution people are going to alter their way of eating but it hasn't till now uh, you know kind of made those waves that we originally thought that it would so i lost a lot of money and with investments it's the same way i mean there's no guarantees that you're going to make money you believe in a concept you go and bootstrap it but how then that the world accepts it is something that you don't know you can only put your best foot forward beyond right. that majority and this is what a lot of people don't understand anthony and with a fear of sounding very spiritual and very philosophical the reality is we actually control very little that's the stark reality we have so little things in control that's not even funny right. so so you know like i went into this sector thinking that you know the alternative dairy and the alternative proteins is just going to be another way of life which a lot of people are going to embark on now few people did but those few people were not good enough to build an entire business model and give investors the return that they thought so i lost a lot a lot of money and time and energy you know trying to be a part of that ecosystem but anyway doesn't really matter uh, it's all what hit and try so currently we do two things i'm still building a food security vertical where we are looking at cutting edge deep tech technologies in food that does not use the environment and land to grow food so what's very happening in the world especially i'm sitting in the middle east now the terrain and the environment is not conducive to agriculture growth at all so what really happens is the middle east imports a lot of commodities and essential foods from all the neighboring countries that are agriculturally rich so india egypt and africa right but when you import you are obviously exposed to oil prices supply chain inflation and all those aspects so that's not the the best model to be able to work so constantly the uae government the saudi government are trying to kind of find technologies that could grow uh, essential crops protein and dairy without using the obvious natural environment and soil uh, so hydroponics aquaponics vertical farming are just small glimpses of what that could look like now the technology has to evolve uh, on volumes and price uh, which is yet not achieved that but look it's a constant development uh, you know process so we are trying to build something around that to solve the food security problem coinos capital is a perfect example of partnering with two of the biggest government bodies in the uae the road transport authority rta and the dubai electricity and water authority deva 
where we are trying to. So RTA's mandate is to go 100% electric in the next 10 years. And we are helping them source technologies across the world to be able to meet that mandate. And the same with Diva. The Diva wants to be 100% renewable in the next 20 years. They're already 30% renewable. A lot of the energy produced in this part of the world comes through solar and wind. But they're obviously looking at technologies like hydrogen, ammonia, fusion technologies to be able to kind of fill that 70% of the gap over the next few decades. Mm. So, you know, with these partnerships, we are driving a lot of these, uh, you know, companies in that space. Recently, we invested in a Swiss company. I spent about 10 days in Europe just recently, day before yesterday I came back. So, uh, you know, the 10 days in Europe, we invested in a Swiss company called Evon Energies. That's into electric vehicle charging infrastructure. We are currently test piloting that out in the UAE and like we say in this part of the world, inshallah, if that works, then we're going to roll it out much broader. So these are some of the technologies that we are working with. So that's what's happening with the Coinos Capital. With Grover Impact Ventures, we are rolling out two programs, which we have just recently started the government agency. One is a venture IP program, where the uh, motivation is that let's look at deep tech IPs that exist across the world and help them commercialize that in Middle East and India. Mm -hmm. The Middle East base, you expand to this part of the world. So we would give them the entire ecosystem and infrastructure uh, with private and public agencies to be able to springboard and expand their IP and market their IP in this part of the world. So that's Mm -hmm. one program that we are setting up that I'm aggressively marketing under Grover Impact Ventures. And the second program is exactly the same, but for venture capital funds. VC funds that want to raise capital from the Middle East take that capital and fuel innovation in their countries and then get that innovation to commercialize in the Middle East. Hmm. So when I mean the Middle East, I really mean UAE, Saudi, North Africa, Egypt, and India. Mm -hmm. Uh, The big markets with big volumes. So UAE acts as a great test pilot. So when you get a new tech into a region, you know, it's not one size fits all. What works in America doesn't mean that it's going to work in India. Everything has to be adapted. So you need a contained environment that lets you test pilot the technology, iron out any, uh, you know, uh, hurdles that come in the way of adaptability and then look at scaling it up once you've achieved that. So it's a step-by-step program. So we are marketing both these programs, the Venture IP Corridor and the Venture Capital Corridor uh, across a couple of markets. The focus markets I'm looking at personally is Netherlands, New Zealand and Australia. I obviously come from New Zealand. I'm a New Zealand citizen. I've lived there for over 16 years, so it's obvious. Uh, So New Zealand, Australia and Netherlands are what we've started this with and I'm sure it's going to expand. So I've got a venture capital arm that does food security and climate tech and I've got Grover and Company which is an advisory practice that is building these two programs. So that's in a nutshell what I'm engaged in these days. I love it. I love it, Amit. Now, I I, uh, I find your story fascinating, what you're doing right now and the way that you're approaching it and doing it as well. It's uh, in, in reflection as well. You know, I, I have an MBA and, you know, obviously I'm running running an early stage uh, company, but I, I found I found the same. You know, it's, it's that you have to go through a different type of journey. You have to go through the hero's journey, right, which is those ups and downs and go through a re-spiritualization and you know, everyone's very knowledgeable, but, you know, if you look at all the systems that we've created from all this sophisticated knowledge and all these MBAs <laughs> running a lot of these corporations, we've set up a lot of obviously unnatural systems that have gotten in the way where, you know, obviously you face those headwinds directly or indirectly that, you know, when you have legacy food chains, you know, stuck on 
you know, fast moving product goods and, 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 you know, they don't want to see kind of new stuff come in, but it's really fascinating to see what's happening in the UAE. It's a great test bed, great distribution. So it's an exciting place that you're at. And I'm sorry to hear about, you know, some of the struggles that you went through, but obviously it sounds like, you know, you know it in your heart that God put you through those, those challenges to get you where you needed to go to see things literally from a ground soil level, right. To see that perspective where, you know, most people in venture capital, nothing against people in venture capital. I mean, I grew up, I was born in Brooklyn. My parents were <laughs> born in Puerto Rico. My grandfather ran a farm, you know, so I don't know anything about the silver spoon or anything like that. Uh, but a lot of venture capitalists are, have never gone really through, as you and I know, through struggles. <laughs> and so, so the real problems of the world, it has to come from people that have seen that perspective. So congratulations on coming out of that struggle and coming out with such a more wiser poise and sophisticated yeah. approach to natural order systems. Tell, tell me a little bit, Ahmed, about some of the, the, uh, the deep tech stuff's fascinating, right? Go, spanning the world, driving deep, choosing that, seeing if you can, you can get that in the UA. I just love to hear a little bit more about the technologies, the products, be also in the spaces of regenerative uh, agriculture and like that and energy. What's promising, what's not, you know, um, you so, see so many different, <laughs> different things. I just tell us more, tell us more. So the two things that we have to understand. So firstly, to drive anything deep tech, it's got to meet the mandate of the country. So it's right. pointless driving something that is not of a priority for the country or the region that you're trying to drive it in. So for me, the region was very clear. It's the Middle East, which is dominated by UAE, Saudi and Qatar with a big growth market, which is North Africa, the likes of Morocco and Egypt. And mm-hmm. of course, the biggest cherry on the cake, India, mm-hmm. which is four hours approximately. So this is the markets we are trying to drive things. Now, when you look at the UAE and Saudi, which are the two obvious markets with great infrastructure to be able to drive things, you need to study that 2050 vision, that what is the vision of the country, what sectors is the government trying to drive, and what is the list of their priorities. Obviously, you can't drive all the priorities, it's humanly impossible. So you select the priorities that A, you understand very well, and B, you know the government is going to back it in a big way because that's their mandate. So that's where uh, renewable energy, sustainable mobility, and food security came about. Mm -hmm. So that's how the logic of dictating these sectors came into life. Mm -hmm. Now, when we are looking for our business model is very, very different to a quintessential VC. So what happens in a regular VC firm is you basically punt on the entrepreneur and you punt on the business model for it to deliver. So typically a VC puts in money in a company, takes the company to the market, acquires customers, burns a lot of marketing dollars and keep raising new rounds of capital from, let's say, 12 months, right up to about 60 months, uh, you know, seed, late seed, series A, pre-series A, series B, and so forth and so on. And at some stage, the early stage VCs exit, making their margin. That's typically your VC model. So it hangs upon two major factors, uh, you know, among others. So one major factor is the entrepreneur themselves and their ability to build the business. And more than building the business, keep raising capital. That's the whole game of VC. The more capital that you raise, the early stage VCs get more. Uh, And number two, to be able to, obviously, uh, the business model, to be able to build market share, grab a lot of market share. Now, we've taken the risk out of it. So what we essentially do, which is inspired through my consulting practice, is we only bootstrap IP. So if there's no intellectual property in the picture, we don't even touch a company. In the sectors that I've talked about, which is renewable energy, uh, sustainable mobility, uh, and food security. Once we've identified the IP, 
We test pilot the IP with some of the partners that we have in ground. So RTA is one of them, Diva is another one, and really look at whether that technology performs in the local region or not. Once uh, the technology performs, then we license it out to some of the biggest energy companies, some of the biggest sustainable mobility companies in the region. And if mm. a solution works for them, they generally acquire the company. Mm. So in a nutshell, we are in the business of buying and selling IP. So we are not investing on the business model and we are not investing on the entrepreneur's ability to keep raising new rounds of capital. Right. We are investing on the asset. So it's about looking at your business as an asset rather than a business model. Yeah, I love it. Because I, love it. I uh, you know, I'm a firm believer that innovators are innovators. You know, the reason why people say that 20% of your portfolio companies would give you 80% of your returns in a venture capital fund, which means 80% of the companies are going to go down and not produce anything. That to me is a flawed model. It's like yeah. standing on a Russian roulette trade table and, you know, betting on a lot of numbers. Now, yeah. I don't like that approach personally. I have nothing against people who do that. Some of them have been very successful doing that. But I personally don't like that model. I personally believe in creating real value. And I right. always believe in the fact of core competence. So when entrepreneurs think that we are innovators, but we got to go and raise money and create that commercial core competence that we don't have by hiring people. If that was the case, then 80% of the companies won't fail. Mm -hmm. As simple as that. The problem that you are seeing such a high failure rate today is where we are trying to shift away from our core competence. So let's take an example of food, right? If you are an innovator who stumbled upon a fantastic alternative protein product that meets taste, texture, uh, cost and all of that, you IP that product, now you're going ahead and raising capital to get production, to support distribution, to support marketing, to get into retail, food service, QFR, Horeca and all the chains to commercialize the product, even direct to I'm saying why do that? develop something, you know, license it out to somebody who has the manufacturing, has the distribution and has the customers already. So for me, if I was one of these plant-based companies, I would develop a product for Nestle. I would develop a product for Unilever. I would develop a product for Tyson Foods. I don't right. care whether my brand slapped onto it or not. As long as what I've invented reaches the customer and becomes mainstream. Because they have the entire value chain already existing. Why should I replicate that in any form of it? And even if right. I try to replicate that, I'm not going to be successful. Look at what's happening to Beyond. With all that hype, with all that bloody nonsense that we saw from 2020 to 2022. Today, you look at where they are. Look at where Oatly is. So this is the problem where we sometimes believe that not stick, you know, we don't stick to our core competence and we think that money can solve the problem because we can get experts and then we'll build the business bigger than an agency. That doesn't work like that. You've got people with the value chain, which doesn't have the innovation. You have the innovation, but you don't have the value chain. Marry innovation with value chain and it's a perfect marriage. So yeah. we... Tell innovators, you concentrate on your co-competence, which is innovation, license and divest to companies who've got a value chain, take that money back and then start innovating even further because that's your job. And, and Amit, I guess, how, how do you find this deep tech? What is your process for finding the, the best of the best and then making sure that you have the right buyer reception and market for yeah. the UAE? I, I can imagine you have a, you know, it's almost like you're a glue for the marketplace, but... 
Are you using AI algorithms, just a very vast network, and or you're looking for attributes, or it's um, it's obvious? Is it, is it a little bit more obvious? It's very obvious. Yeah. So there is no algorithm that you can use here. Yeah. When you talk about the world of deep tech, it's very limited. It's yeah. highly specialized, it's yeah. highly academic, and it's highly research-driven. Not every university has that capability of doing the research. So obviously, mm-hmm. a lot of there are a handful of universities that are doing cutting-edge research. Same mm-hmm. with Australia. So you're looking at places uh, in the world where such research is getting bootstrapped. So America is one of them. Canada is another one. Australia, New Zealand, is, uh, uh, you know, some. And the Netherlands, Germany, uh, and of course, Scandinavian countries. These are a handful of countries that are doing a lot of deep tech research. So you have to go which is attached to academia because research generally happens at an academia level, right? So a lot of these incubators and accelerators supported by universities, like for example, we work very closely with the Delft University, the Technical Technical University of Delft in the Netherlands, we work with Utrecht in the Netherlands, we work with the University of Auckland in New Zealand, we work with the University of New South Wales in uh, Sydney. So it's a very small ecosystem, Anthony, and that's the reality. So you don't need to run an algorithm-based approach because you're not skimming through thousands and millions of data to be able to reach specific data. Both food security, sustainable mobility, and renewable energy and cutting-edge deep tech within these industries are only handled by a handful of countries and a handful of people. Within that ecosystem, I am only in charge of Australia, New Zealand, and Netherlands because mm-hmm. it's impossible to kind yeah. of, uh, you know, have your engagement with 30 countries. It's not yeah. practical. So within these three countries, the ecosystem is so small that everybody knows everybody. So you work with those five or six universities or that seven or eight venture studios, and that's enough for your deal flow. Yeah. Um, it, it, when it comes to the future of the things that you're looking at, the different themes, obviously major themes is, is mobility, energy, sustainable food. Um, yeah. What are you starting to see a trend? So if you fast forward to the future and kind of you view yourself like, hey, I, 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 I did my work, I invested in these things, and it's like 10, 20 years from now. In those three categories, it sounds like you're going to be in these categories for a while, right? With this type of model, are you, what trend would you have seen? Would you have seen like hydrogen went out and that dominates and you don't see as much fusion or fission? You don't see as much maybe solar on the mobility side or cars running on hydrogen? Are they running on some, something else on sustainable yeah. food? Is it, is it these like cities of, of, of uh, sustainable, you know, vertical farming? in cities and having a certain ratio. What is what does the future look like? What is sort of the right model? And I'm sure you probably have some biases that maybe yeah. other people don't believe, but what do you believe are like the, the category winners in those three categories? I'm kind of curious if you're seeing, you know, yeah. really something start to break to the top. Yeah. I think one of the category leaders that will drive all of this together is going to be the emergence of smart cities along with circular economy. Right. Where on the consumer level, there is going to be a big demand for living life the way that today we only dream of. Mm-hmm. That is going to become a consumer desire. So mm-hmm. what is the future versus what are the desire of consumers are two completely different aspects. So today with electric vehicles, you are looking at EVs becoming mainstream, where people are junking BMWs and Mercedes and buying a Tesla. Now, that's not because that they're very conscious about the environment. Trust me, 90% of the people aren't. But it becomes a style statement. It becomes an aspiration and it become, and makes them feel and sound and look very cool. Yeah. That you're doing something that's right. 
Yeah. So I think the emergence of smart cities that is supported by regenerative agriculture, which is supported by vertical farming, which is supported by renewable energy and a completely circular economy uh, is going to be the future in my my view. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. uh, purely how I'm looking at it. In terms of what I do is um, what we have to understand that two biggest barriers with both renewable energy as well as sustainable agriculture and sustainable mobility, scale and price. Now, mm-hmm. all these technologies are fantastic when you look at look look at them in a contained environment of what they promise to produce and what they're producing. The moment you try to scale it up to meet costs and get it to a much larger pool of customers, a lot of these new technologies fall apart. Uh, so I think the challenge is going to be to produce scale, to produce size and to, uh, you know, produce costs that are viable for customers to pay for it. Mm-hmm. So I think it all hangs. So uh, EVs currently are working on lithium, right? And lithium right. mining itself is a very polluting activity and it's a very socially and economically distressing activity how lithium is being mined. Yeah. So that can't be a solution to power electric vehicles. There has to be a significant amount of hydrogen a significant amount of fusion and other technologies coming. Now, the biggest problem with hydrogen is stability. That how do you, in a small contained environment, get stability so the car doesn't blow up with the person in it. And you can produce as much energy that is required to fuel the car before you go on to fueling cities. That's the next level. Even with solar and wind, it only produces a certain amount of energy and it takes a lot of space. Yeah. I mean, if you solar parks, it's a lot of land that you're using. So the technology is evolving and it will evolve to a point where the, the infrastructure will start getting smaller, but the generation of power from that infrastructure will increase. Now, but that's a while away. I think a lot of people are researching and coming out with new technologies, but again, scale and price still seems to be the biggest barrier yeah. towards commercialization and stability of energy. Because a lot of these energies are great, but they're not stable. And then what's your thesis then on, you know, the one category obviously that comes up a lot is is the materials category and how it affects circular economy. And obviously you have a lot of, you know, petroleum, you have a lot of, uh, you know, plastics and improper metals being used in an unscalable way that cut across those different industries. Are you starting to see any theses or have any theses around how uh, recyclable materials like plant-based materials lately I don't know what it is over the past like three weeks I've been obsessed going back in history from like Henry Ford you know making a car in hemp you know I don't know if you remember you know so obviously hemp has so many uses and things like that do you see that the materials the daily plastic use of things like that um, there's some emerging opportunities there that can help improve the circularness of those three other um, you know categories and the way they progress in the future 100% 100% in a lab. When you yeah. do these things in a yeah. contained environment in a lab and you take yeah. out these materials that are 100% biodegradable that can be used, mm-hmm. but then start scaling it up in terms of quantity and volume and price and it falls apart. This is the problem I'm talking about. Whether it's seaweed, whether it's cactus, whether it's any it's hemp or it's any kind of material that is 100% biodegradable and good for the environment. How mm-hmm. do you produce the kind of volume that is needed? I mean, BMW manufactures probably what, you know, 58 million cars. Right. Yeah. Now, how do you get that kind of quantity? It's impossible. Yeah. Then that means deforestation, right? End of the day, yeah. if you need land to produce a certain material, you need land. You need to right. cut down farms. Right. Right. 
I love it, Ahmed. This is great. I guess you know, the one the one thing that intrigued me as well is obviously the cost model, the structure, currencies. You have different currencies, different countries, right? Middle East even has different currencies, currencies between yeah. the countries. Um, do you have any thesis on some of the newer emerging technologies, right? One would say that intelligence, the, the explosion of intelligence in AI is yeah. creating itself compound cur- um, you know, currencies as well. Intelligence will be like a currency in itself. Uh, you also have decentralization and blockchain and cryptocurrencies uh, that obviously can cut across uh, central bank digital currencies that are rising. Do you have any theses on how these emerging technology trends like AI, blockchain, decentralization or currencies could or should affect what you're doing in a good way? Are you watching out for those emerging technologies that all are having theses there? Yeah, I don't invest in that part of the world, but I'm a thought leader in that part of the world because of purely economics. Yeah. Now, when you try to use intelligence into currency, it's basically the world of tokenization, right? right. Everybody's talking about tokenizing everything in the world. Yeah, from water. Right? So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, so it's, for me, it's going a little too far. I yeah. think people with that kind of intellectual ability have, have far many areas to solve. So this is my point. To Tomorrow cryptos go away. Would it matter to the world? Will the world cease to exist if there's no crypto? Right. Right. But will the world cease to exist if there's no food? If there is no energy because of the floods and the droughts and the famines that are happening? Will right. the world cease to exist if inflation goes up by 200%? Right. Because of some of those geopolitical conditions as well as supply chain issues that we are facing. Now, there are bigger problems in my eyes to to, uh, tackle rather than trying to create a problem and the entire world of decentralized finance where see blockchain has been existing for a long time it's only crypto made it popular yeah it came to the limelight of average person's mind because crypto works on blockchain but blockchain has been around for a while yeah and blockchain has given way to crypto not the other way right right so that people have to understand the second thing people have to understand the concept of tokenomics that how does it really work? Now, I tell you who backs the cryptocurrency. Now, when people in a very sublime way by looking a couple of documentaries say, oh, they're printing so much of currency and then there is no logic behind it. I'm like, look, don't go and re- read your basic economics 101. A currency is derived, the value of the currency is derived from the GDP, the gross domestic product of a country, the imports and the exports the country does, as well as the international placement that country has in mm-hmm. terms of economic clout. You just don't derive a value of the currency because you feel like deriving it. It's not right. the currency. So right. it's a very complicated economic model with reserves, with gold, with precious commodities, with the amount of GDP you have. There are many factors that go in. What goes in behind a, a crypto, which is a private currency floated by a billionaire somewhere to make a fool of other people. Right. Currencies, and, and that is what's really happening. It's going towards regulation. What does regulation do? It caps your fluctuations. So it can't right. fluctuate beyond a certain point and it can't go up beyond a certain point. So the moment you do that, it becomes unattractive, right? It's attractive because it's not regulated. So right. someday it's up by 100%, the other time it's down by 80%. Right. So governments and currencies will never let that happen because it's regulated and there's an instrument regulated. So I think what people have to understand is blockchain. If you divide this entire decentralized world uh, of finance, I personally feel the biggest drive that I see is going to be blockchain. Many businesses 
will benefit from being on the blockchain and 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 working as uh, you know using DAO, which is a decentralized autonomous organization. That's going to be the uh, you know real value that people will derive from blockchain, both layer one and layer two. And you know going into tokenomics and tokenizing everything is still a little early, but I believe and very firmly that equity shares that you have in companies will be at some stage in the evolution replaced by token, tokens. Because right now right, what is happening, if you do a crowdfunding round, that crowdfunding only works in a certain geography that you're based in. Right. I from sitting in India can't do a can't invest in a crowdfunding round in the US. I can't because I'm not in that jurisdiction, right? Right. So tokenization, especially certain markets where crypto exchanges and tokenized exchanges are legal, like Dubai is one of them, Singapore is another one, Switzerland is another one, Hong Kong is another one. Uh, so there are few countries now legalizing, uh, you know, kind of crypto and crypto exchanges and the world of digital assets. Mm-hmm. Uh, one could invest in a company that's tokenized and trading on the exchange in Dubai uh, without having to worry about where you're based. It just right. gives you global access to investment. And I think that's where eventually things are headed towards. Might not be in the next two or three yeah. years, might take a bit of time, but eventually that's the crypto to me is, you know, anyway. Um, yeah. yeah, I'm not a big fan of crypto. Anyway, every currency is becoming digital. Like, you know, this whole concept of digital currency, when is the last time you use cash? I mean, for the last 10 years, I've been using cards and that's nothing but basically digital currency, right? Right. Or network. So the the reality is all the uh, major currencies, the euro, the dollar, the pound, they're all going to become digital. They're all going to be traded on these digital currency exchanges and they're going to regulate the hell out of every crypto, which means that all these cryptos will be Right. Currency, what we have to understand is a factor of the usability of the currency. You can't take Bitcoin today and buy a loaf of bread yeah, right. down the street to your normal vendor. Right. It has to be first converted into fiat and then used on your Apple Pay, which right. means different different points of consumption where you're losing. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I love it. I love it. I appreciate the perspective, <laughs> definitely. And it sounds like, you, do you foresee IP and energy being tokenized at some point? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Everything will be tokenized. Yeah. What we have to understand, why does it need to be tokenized? It needs to be tokenized for a global acceptance. Yeah. So that if I have an energy project, my jurisdiction shouldn't become a restriction for the globe to invest in manage. Right. And tokenization we, we about, you see a linear correlation then with uh, asset categories getting tokenized across multiple countries. And then do you, do you see a major impact on GDP for major countries going up as, as a result of that? 100% you look at yeah. Dubai, I mean, because they've yeah. tokenized and because they've regularized the digital asset world, you today talk about fractional ownership of real oh, estate, yeah. talking about oh, yeah. tokenization of real estate, and the economy is going up by leaps and bounds. I mean, just to give you a figure, more than 300 billion US dollars have moved in in less than 12 months in Dubai. It's bad. It's unprecedented. It's it, People don't even realize, I think. Yeah. yeah, they don't. I mean, today, the world of finance is very different. I mean, people want to stick to old shit. Uh, without wanting the change. I mean, this is what I don't really understand. When you're buying a car, when we're buying a computer, we want the latest. But when we talk about a business model and our strategy and our way of thinking, we don't want to embrace the change. Yeah, yeah. It's like we're stuck. You know, a lot. I think a lot of people are, are kind of under the spell and they're kind of doing what they're told and they don't realize that their their thoughts were really not their own, right, as well. I think for a start, 
at least venture capitalists and the smaller companies not so much the big mnc's but the yeah. smaller companies should not hire mbas in fact if you're an mba you should be rejected from that position because mbas teach you how to become an employee yeah no mba is designed to teach you tell me one entrepreneur that has become an entrepreneur because of the mba they've done no i could go back in time the 150000 us dollars i spent behind an mba full time mba yeah. program i'd probably put that money in a masters of economics or a yeah. course right not right mba only teaches you how to be an employee and a slave i i tell i tell people the same thing i told someone that the other day as well i would i would i would cash back in my mba for another set of shorter more concentrated knowledge 100%. and um yeah you know the the free thinking is really important too i mean we didn't talk necessarily about sustainable healthcare and universal basic uh, healthcare but uh you know one analogy we've been talking all, a lot is we spend over a trillion dollars on healthcare but the world's not healthier right and the reason why is you just have these uh really odd constructs of improper unnatural consumption and major major promotion of that and that gets in the yeah. way and honestly that kind of led to your kind of sort of like spiritual journey as well as like you came across that way you're like oh no this is the ultimate you know new plant protein milk or plant protein you know it should it should be adopted but you're just rushing up against the the supply chain I'm right? telling you in 2020 New Zealand wanted to legalize cannabis uh yeah. uh recreational use like the Netherlands and there was a referendum and 49% people voted for it and 51% against it that's why it couldn't go uh, and become legal I feel that you should ban tobacco and make weed legal because yeah. that's it's it's less harmful than tobacco which is ma- made of 108 chemicals to preserve that tobacco and yeah. all so nicotine is not your enemy mm-hmm. it's the chemicals that go into a cigarette is your enemy right right the preservative because it's a perishable commodity yeah the, the entire world of cpg consumer packaged goods yeah. uh, in the food sector Uh, yeah. which is heavily infused with emulsifiers preservatives and other kind of chemicals to keep sh- to achieve shelf life stability is right. the, the right. entire universe of fast casual food where i'm going to get food within with a, with no effort yeah your biggest yeah. enemy the way those chickens are grown the way those are injected with so dairy is not bad if you grow it organically if you cultivate cows at your home that our grandparents did or a great grandparents did and every home would have a farm and cows and goats and things like that and right. you organically uh, so the way our ancestors lived is become the way of life for the billionaires today yeah so what yeah. are billionaires doing doing today people who really made wealth they're ditching their smartphones they're hiring people to erase their digital footprints they're going back to farms and driving manual cars like manual range rovers they're living off the land they're having cows and drinking milk from their own cows so they've gone back to living the way our ancestors used to live off grid yeah because today with the whole consumerism everything every mnc selling poison mate Yeah. It's basically we are consuming poison from vegetables to fruits the way they are grown through insecticide pesticide and the way we use it because you can't get yield like that. Yeah. Yeah. And then in the water, right every time we go yeah. to lots of water it's dangerous. We have to be very cautious. 100%. Yeah. 100% that this is where the problem is that greed uh you know and control It is it is fascinating, you know, in terms of the natural order, you know, and yeah, it is, you know, obviously political, you know, I, I'm not going to make a comment for or again, you know, but but what I would say is uh yeah, you know, 
there's something to be said with the way that our grandparents did things and the naturalness when you actually compare biology consumption and everything holistically end to end um you know ancient knowledge that's in all of our spiritual books that are around for thousands of years it has the recipe in it and deviating too much from that natural order you know you do you, you know society does pay the consequences almost like the same analogies with like cotton you know it's like cotton takes yeah, a lot yeah, of water but you know there's also you know so that's why i've been thinking we've been you know obviously there's there's a lot there about hemp um you know even the garments that we wear need to be a lot more natural and a lot of people just don't realize what's in the things that are on their skin what they're drinking what they're eating and there's this powerful opportunity but it's fascinating to see what the UAE is doing because they really re are, are rethinking the natural order in the way that a city think, should be made you know I had major reservations when I came to the UAE uh, five yeah. uh, six and a half years back I came from New Zealand it's a very liberal it's a very forward-thinking country but you know I tell everybody that do you see me marketing New Zealand what do you see me marketing right I mean, coming from such a liberal country which is so advanced in sciences which has such a social fabric that people talk about it tops the charts in the world when it comes to social equality your state support and all the metrics that make a country the most admirable country to live in and yet you see me marketing UAE because this country is making waves and changing the way they think about right. the future I mean right. opportunities do have a chance to flourish in this part of the world they're super open minded in terms of you know and all this rubbish about or oh, it's 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 a very conservative part of the world it's nothing but garbage and rubbish take it from a person who's a kiwi who's been living here for six and a half years and i can tell you except for perception there's no reality to it mm -hmm. it's by far one of the most open minded cities in the world uh you know the most advanced city in the world and their appetite for technology deep tech and their appetite for uh, renewable energy sustainable mobility health tech edtech you name the industry that's growing artificial we the only country that have a, have a minister of ai we are the only country in the world that have a web3 and ai campus under difc that's dubai international financial center i mean there is a mandate that every government department year on year has has to embark on ai mm -hmm. as part of their processes so this That's is how the change in the drive is happening mate. i don't see it happening in any other country yeah um mean this is this has really been great i mean i have so many other follow up questions i want to ask you about you know yeah. the the soil and the sand of uae and what you, what you guys are thinking and how you convert that or if that's that's um you know rectifiable and things like that but what i'd love to do is have you back on the show i'd love to go deeper on some of these maybe like in in the next like 3 to 6 months you come back talk a little bit more about your investments how this ip is going i'm sure this whole land of uh tokenizing ip is one that's going to pick up a lot faster than what people in the venture capital move and i think the venture capital sector is going to lose a lot of talent moving over to models like yours which are really kind of more uh i think it's a more uh fascinating more proven uh makes sense model as well too yeah the the vc i think a lot of vcs out there are really kind of you know scratching their heads they're like there's got to be a better way to this model to accomplish what we're we're trying to accomplish and and the mandate set they're under right you know a lot of vcs it's like you come to them and they're like oh sorry my mandate is this and it's this really narrow segment but uh they're kind of stuck in that mandate right so essentially well, they're, they're they're investing someone else's money for a specific I mean, the problem is that they're trying to build a model Like yeah. think about it if you're a Chevron you know and and in America the the ventures coming out renewable energy ventures come out i mean is it possible that you'll ever be able to take on Chevron right right so why not 
I mean, why, not, why compete when you can collaborate, man? Yeah. You know, basically bootstrap the innovation for them. They yeah. can't have all the innovation in the world. Give them every year 10 innovations and out of which even if three are more valuable for commercialization, send it to them. They've got the whole distribution that you will never have. Absorb it. Absorb it. Trying to deny that path is, is not I natural. think, Anthony, we yeah. all have to understand which we very conveniently forget in the garb of our dreams that everybody's got a certain place in the value chain. Yeah. You can't just skip that place and go there without having done your time. Right. Right. So understand your place in the value chain and maximize your place rather than looking at somebody else's place in the value chain. Right, right. Which is, it's very ego driven, like in the promising models that have gone to just succumb to ego of the, the founder or the... It's all know, about that. It's, it's, ba- yeah. it's basically ego. Yeah. Let me tell you, like fund managers, venture capital fund managers are super egoistic. And I always remind them when I'm at a conference, don't forget the word manager on a yeah. Yeah. The only thing that you do is manage a rich person's money and you pay 2% to do it. Yeah. It's a goddamn high profile job. Stop thinking that you are the person managing your own money. The yeah. real game is when you become an investor yourself. Yeah. That's when you multiply. The In a venture capital fund, yeah. you have to first return them the 2% that you've charged for the first five years and the 1% that you charge for the next five years and all the interest they've lost in the money and then you can get your cash if possible. Yeah. Half of the time, that doesn't even happen. So, you know, you have to first return them 2x before you can make your money. Yeah. Most PC fund managers are just interested in that 2% that they get for the next 10 years. Yeah. It's very focused. So, I, I think it's a glorified job. There is nothing, uh, you know, uh, in my opinion, very glamorous about it. Yeah. It's hard, hard work. It's very non-glamorous. You have constantly a sword on your head. Uh, because you're managing somebody else's money, there's a lot of pressure. Uh, but these people behave as if they've got like, I don't know, like, you know, I, you, you should see their attitude and the way they come across as if it's their money. And, you know, yeah. it's not God's money. You're just a manager. You're on a goddamn job manager. It's an exciting time that's, that's <clears throat> changing too. And obviously entrepreneurs and even early stage founders are becoming a lot more savvy to realize that you know it's it's about um you know the yeah just realizing your place in the ecosystem and how to properly get there i'm fascinated by your model and i can talk with you probably another four hours about your model what you're doing um it's a blessing what you're doing i i would say just personally speaking it, it is fascinating and there's probably nothing else that matters than creating natural order systems and trying to get those distributed out into the world and and flowering uh, as fast as possible. It's a really important time in history, as we know, and it is. everything that's going on. But Ahmed, I guess my very last question for you as we as we end here, if our listeners wanted to get engaged with you, reach out to you, maybe to have an innovation in the space that we talked about, what would be a good way to engage with you or reach out to you if you'd like that to happen? I think LinkedIn is probably the fastest way. I'm pretty uh, active on LinkedIn. So people can find me on LinkedIn and connect with me, write me a message. And typically in 24 hours, I give them a Great, great. Well, Ami, it was exciting to hear about your origin story, the hero's journey you went through, the struggles you overcome, and obviously the the spiritual insights you gained and the perspective has obviously led to where you're at, which obviously you never, you didn't say, but I can imagine you would never take back those struggles if you could, right? And that's the benefit of just going going through this, uh, of, of what you went through. And uh, it's important, it's important for our personal development, obviously, you know, the most people, the big, the people that impact the things most in the world, obviously had to, had to see things from a very specific, you know, perspective that, that God put us through. So 
Um, this was a this was great to connect with you, Amit, and uh, love to have you back. And to our listeners, again, this is the Pop Health Show. This show is for anyone that has a super strong passion on making an impact in the world and fascinated by the intersections of impact, health, and emerging technologies. Amit, thank you so much. This was great. Thank really you so much. Appreciate it.